They were called nasties and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. And welcome back to another episode of Wait For It, Doing The Nasty, that's right. After our couple of month hiatus, don't hate us, uh, we are returning to you with Season 2, Episode number 30. I'm one of your hosts, Duncan McLeish, and joining me is my long-suffering co-host for the entirety of Season 2. It's a phenomenal Mark Ball. How you doing, Mark? I, I gotta do it. Back in <laughs> It's we we are back, yeah. It's it's been a dude. This has been the weirdest, craziest fucking summer yeah. in in recent history, in recent memory. And I didn't even like go to this would normally right now be film festival season. Yeah, you'd I be away not, Texas, wouldn't you? No, yeah, yeah. I would have just been getting back uh, like last week from Fantastic Fest. I did not go this year. Uh, I talked to one of my buddies that did go. He said it was very slow this year. Like Ooh. not a lot of people showed up, and people that had like the the, the lesser quality badges or whatever had absolutely no problem getting in to see stuff. So mm. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because we went last year and it was like barely a festival because of COVID and shit. And yeah. They were still separating seats and stuff. And uh, yeah, really weird year last year for sure. Uh, I definitely saw on Twitter a few people getting COVID at Fantastic Fest this mm. year that had to call it early. So I don't know. I don't feel I don't feel terrible about missing it. A lot of the stuff that they ended up seeing uh, is definitely coming out. Like the yeah. opening night movie was Smile, which came out in theaters like a fucking week later or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the secret screenings was the new Hellraiser movie, which just came it's out. Just I, come out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but a lot. It sounds like a lot of the stuff that they saw is either coming out on you know theaters or Shutter or whatnot. So. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel terrible. I saved a shit ton of money by not going this year, and the wedding is in about twenty days. From yeah, well, this, this recording, is the thing. So. Like you, you, you did it not because of safety concerns or anything. It's because your wedding is just around the corner. Yeah, which... yeah. And my current job, they, they're like, you got to pick either one or the other, dude. You can either take like yeah. a week off for the wedding or a week and a half off to go to Texas, but not both. So yeah. I'm like, I can't. That's that's no decision to make. Of course, I'm going to take it off for the fucking wedding. But of course, yeah. Anyway, the, <laughs> I'm surprised that they even said that to you. Yeah. <laughs> Wedding or film festival? Which was it yeah, going to be, Mark? Like, yeah, make a decision, dumb shit. <laughs> like, so, yeah, anyway, better like next year. I'm going to try and get out to some stuff. I, yeah, I, Festivals I, are still I, picking up. I think that's the thing. I think yeah. it is still real. I think it is still really early. Uh, I mean, we, we did we did Fright Fest at the beginning of the year, and it wasn't sold out, but. You know, I, I mean, it was busy, but I don't think it was as busy as even the organisers expected it to be. And that's just in one auditorium. So that's like people that buy those, like, apart from the floating tickets for individual screenings, like, you, right. it's just one auditorium that you're in all, all for the two days. So, and it was noticeable that, like, certain movies just had, well, it was maybe, it was at three quarters capacity, which it never is. Even on the shittest movies, it's usually full. So, and I think that's yeah. people just being kind of uh, slowly acclimating to this new world that we live in. 
and yeah, yeah, yeah. these things will pick up. Like festivals like that will never, you know, will never go away. Uh, it's just that it sometimes takes the the audience time to uh, kind of feel more comfortable and partaking in those sorts of events. Plus, like, no one's got any money. Like, the economy is dog shit at the moment, and it's just... Yeah. Like, this is just a tip of a very shitty iceberg. Like, this... We, we are gonna... Like, the next two years are gonna be fucking miserable um, when it comes to the cost of things. So, when you get to that, it is a case of, like, similar to the, <laughs> the wedding scenario and all the rest. It's like, well, do I want to eat this month? Or do I want to go to a film festival? <laughs> And you know, surprise, surprise, film festivals will lose out on that. So, yeah, yeah. kind of cringy. But uh, the, the other thing that's kind of picking up is concerts. I did mm. finally make it to like some real fucking concerts this summer. I Dude, saw I've seen. Lo- like, I'm, I'm back doing the music reviews. So, well, I have been uh, back doing the music reviews for about fucking three years. But um, going to shows again? Yeah, yeah, going to shows because uh, we're getting like we're getting comp tickets essentially to go and interview bands and all the rest and I have I've been about seven eight, eight since we last talked and I think I've got like 12 before the end of the year god it's damn all, all fucking, in Glasgow yeah pretty, pretty much Glasgow and Edinburgh um, but there's so because the bands couldn't tour for so long they're all out on tour now and it is it's another thing where like I've been to very few sold out shows because like it is it's like any given week in Glasgow now, you'd swing a cat and hit a amazing touring band that are in Glasgow that week. Like they're right. almost back to back just now. In fact, we're in this weird position that in the same night in Glasgow coming up real soon, Zeal and Ardor, who I fucking love, are playing the same night as Clutch, and it's oh, like, what shit. we what are we fucking doing here? Like, <laughs> it, it just like that is honestly was like I think um, the first week in November. In the space of seven days, there are four gigs that I'm going to. So it's like all bands that are like big touring established metal acts. It's how you it's how you pass that out. I did see you. You did go and see the Nine Inch Nails, who I saw earlier on in this tour. So um, oh, nice. how fucking good were they? Oh my god, that was an incredible <laughs> Ridiculous. show. I spent I spent a small fucking fortune on two tickets for yeah. that thing because the Red Rocks shows always sell out instantly and they do two yeah. nights and both nights are just like gone in a yeah. micro Plus the pictures looked fucking insane from that. That is, that is the venue for a band like that. Oh, dude. Next, one of these days when you come over to the States, you've got to do a fucking Red Rocks show. Yeah. Even the shittiest band is going to be like incredible yeah. out of fucking Red Rocks. It's, oh man, I, I couldn't pass that up and yeah, that was, that was an incredible show. That, that was sold the fuck out. Actually, uh, it's a bit of a jaunt to get up in that place. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like about a fucking hour like hike. Like especially if they're just opening the gates or whatever. So uh, my fiance and I got up there and like we're up in the general admission kind of bullshit. And we find a good place to sit. And I'm like I'm gonna go run and grab us drinks real quick. And I totally did not look at the fucking aisle that we were sitting in. <laughs> so I get up course the beer line is 10 miles fucking long so like by the time i actually like get up there to get drinks the opening band is playing and the house lights are down yeah so i get down there and i have a vague idea of what row we're sitting in but when the lights are down and it's a crowd for nine inch nails it's just nothing but pasty faces and black t-shirts as far as the eye can see so (laughs) panicking a little bit i eventually just texted her and i'm like there's no fucking way i can find you until (laughs) the house lights come back on so just sit tight and i will come to you ended up drinking our beers i was about to say i just love this idea you've like returning half an hour later with two empty 
Like two empty plastic cups got that. I got so thirsty trying to find you. <laughs> I was like, what am I supposed to do? Just stand here and let it get fucking warm and flat? Like, no, I, I, I brought some waters and yeah, we, we, we cut the, with all of the Nine Inch Nails set and it was fucking incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like about, and then like about a week later, we caught Health and Perturbator and Street Sex in Denver, yeah. which was fucking amazing. Holy shit. Uh, I think that's about the third time I've caught a perturbator show, and it's been different every time. He's mm-hmm. he's he's back playing with a drummer. Uh, he plays guitar a little bit on the live set and sings a couple new song, tracks off of his new album. Nice. Um, and yeah, do that. That show is fucking I've great. I've seen him middle of the month. Um, they're oh, playing nice. to a sold out audience in Glasgow, which I'm so happy for. And they're playing in a venue which is like a converted church, so it's going to be pretty wicked. And Author and Punisher are opening for them. So, and I had yeah, author, I saw I had, that. Yeah, I had Author and Punisher tickets. Back in February, February, March, right after the album came out, the new album, which I fucking love. Yeah. I love that new album, and I, I could yeah. not wait to go and see them. And then they pulled, they pulled out of their their UK dates, like kind of last minute. Um, yeah. And then the, I think they ended up coming back to do some sort of support slot, but it was only in England. So this is them now finally coming to Scotland. So I'm I'm like super excited for that because I've never seen Author and Punisher live. So um, oh, it's gonna be great. He's oh, another yeah. one. His live shows seems like it's got it's. I've seen him a couple times now, mm. and it's always different. He's he's got a guitarist now. Like he's doing vocals in this new album. He's singing all the way right through it. So I, I like that from that point of view. I just can't wait to see it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm very excited for that as well. It'll be yeah, uh, it'll be real cool, man. It'll be real cool. So so what, one last thing on the the, the concert topic, and then I, well, I suppose we'll probably jump into these two video. Nasties <laughs> do we have to talk about. about video nasties, Mark? Do we? Well, oh, do we do I, I, I don't know what the, the plan is currently. Originally, we were talking about recording two episodes today, so four movies. Uh, two of those movies I have quite a bit to say about, yep. and two of those movies I don't fucking care if I ever talk about again, frankly. So. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see I, yeah, I, I, what I'm going to say is, I'm going to let's see how we feel when this episode finishes, and then if we want to do another two. I'm in a position where I watched the next two movies like a month ago, and I've forgotten yeah. 75% of what goes on in at least one of those movies. So I'm kind of like, let's get. Mark, I'm in no rush now, right? Like, I, I was saying <laughs> to you off air, like, I was originally about that. This, this show has a hard finish, me 2023. I'm about that. I created that. So I can move it. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Like, so I ain't got no boss telling me to show. do this. Fuck it's, my, it's my network. It's my show. I, I'm, like, you know what? If I want to take my time, I'll take my fucking time. So, so what else did you? Besides, what else did you, you see? Uh, I didn't see any, but I listened to to that last that last episode uh, that came out in like the beginning of June or whatever. And I was just talking about playing my first live show. Oh fuck! You've done about four since then. So. Yes, I I've, I've played four shows in that <laughs> amount of time. So yeah, like shortly after that one, I played a show in Billings, Montana, at yep. a really cool place called Kirk's. That was kind of a uh, uh, it's, it's a sweet little DUI spot and Billings has like a pretty rad music scene. You know, there's lots of kids that are into like noise and fucking industrial mm. and just like heavy, heavy, weird shit. And this venue kind of specializes in a lot of that. That show went fucking great. I played with a really rad little punk band called Scuba Steve and the Shark. Uh, that, 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 that one went, went off without a hitch. Um, and then like, probably about two months later, I played my first hometown show here in Casper. I can't 
I'm space. I played with a, a two piece noise rock band called Doug that was fucking rad. They mm-hmm. were just like an insanely fucking heavy sounding band considering it's just a drummer and a fucking guitar player mm-hmm. uh that sh- that show is incredible lots of people came out to that i i kind of was hyping that up on facebook like as much as humanly possible and uh had a pretty good turnout and a lot of people came out and really liked it uh and then i think we were getting ready to leave from nine inch nails and my friend that's been kind of helping me book some shows book me he's like hey you want to play next saturday i know you got like a week <laughs> to prep for that but come on out so I'm like, all right, yeah, fuck it. I, yeah, I'm not going to say no to that shit. And uh, yeah, so I, th- this was just a couple weeks ago. I played that show. Um, my guy that set it up for me had to dip early because he had been either playing or uh, running shows for like the previous four nights in a row mm-hmm. all over the state of Wyoming. Uh, so he had to dip early and he's like, the, the PA is all set up and ready to go. To, you know, just, just plug in and start like your normal time and have have fun. Uh, so I get there, nobody fucking shows up because there is a college football game. Wyoming was playing like BYU or something. I don't know much about the sports balls, but uh, every, yeah, I think about half the town is probably doing that. And there had also been a pretty big show the night before at that same venue. So mm-hmm. nobody fucking showed up. I think one person that wasn't either in the fucking two bands that played or was a like girlfriend of them or whatever showed up. So nobody came out. Uh, I got there kind of late and was in a big hurry to set up all my shit. And uh, nothing was working. I had no idea how to fucking run this fucking PA system because I'd never even like looked at it before. I had myself convinced that I had like a bad patch cable, but in in retrospect, I'm pretty sure I had shit plugged into the wrong fucking outputs and inputs. <laughs> so I'm scrambling to just even get fucking sound to come out of this stupid fucking thing. And finally I do, and I'm like, fuck it, let's roll, turn the lights down, let's play, I'll play to the other band who were very nice and very gracious about all this. And I very quickly realized that the sound that is coming out of the PA is in mono. And I've been mixing in fucking stereo the whole time. So (laughs) about 70% of the mix is not coming through at all. And I'm just scrambling through my shit to try and, and I very foolishly write my sets so that they all kind of run together for the most part is like Mm -hmm. one big 25 ish minute song so it's not like i can like you know stop in the middle of it and fuck around with it i'm just it was it was a fucking disaster it was the worst show i've played yeah i finally got the bad show out of my system thank god and yeah learned learned a lot of hard hard lessons that night which thank god it was that night and not one of the nights when you know 20 30 however many people show up there was nobody there to see me bomb except for the other band and they were super nice about it. They're like, your set sounded great. And I was just immediately like, that was the worst show I've ever fucking played. I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know how you could hear anything. I couldn't hear anything. I didn't have any like stage monitors. This is something I'm going to have to work on for the next one. Uh, so yeah, I got uh, that. That was a disaster. That was the longest 24 minutes of my fucking life. Like there, there, there's pictures of it and I can just see it on my face that I am panicking I am just dripping fucking sweat, <laughs> like cold, scared sweat. And I'm just like freaking the fuck out a little bit. But uh, yeah, it, it turned out okay. You, you got to get those out of the way. 100%. Otherwise. Like you like never appreciate how something, the, the 
the best elements of doing anything live until you've had the experience of just going utterly wrong and out with your control. You need that. Yep. You do need that. Like, if all you ever experience is the dizzying highs, like, by the time one of those comes around, it will destroy you. So it's yeah. best to get it early. Um, yeah. And get it got me asking questions amongst, you know, like the, the like, electronic artist subreddits and stuff, and they actually, like, were really, you know, they said pretty much the same thing. They're like, yeah. you've got to get the bad one out of your... Oh yeah, you need to. Yeah, (laughs) you you do. You're 100. It's kind of like podcasting as well. Like there's, like you need that. You need that episode that you will never go back and do anything with, even after the edit, because you know it's shit and it exists online and it's there and you know it's in the back catalogue, hopefully buried somewhere that not lots of people hear it. But that's not the one that you would ever, when someone's like, what's a good episode for me to start listening to your show? You'd never point to that one because you kind of wish yeah. it didn't exist. Um, yeah. We had some do. interviews like that back on the Midnight Horror Show. There's oh. a couple of those that didn't end up back on the feed because they were just fucking disasters. There, there's a reason that it was only like the the Tristan Risk and the Jill Six yeah. interviews on that feed for yeah. many, many years. The rest of them, not not so good. But yeah, and that, those sort of things are out with your control, you know what I mean, for the most part. Like, but it's never never generally what you do when it comes to interviews. It, it can be the, the answers that you get by someone who maybe isn't even trying to be awkward, but that's just how they sound. So, yeah, it's part and parcel of doing it, and that's that's the fun thing. The good thing is you're out there doing it, though, which is the main thing. Like, you don't you don't get off the horse because you fall, you know, fall off, you get back on and then continue to ride. So um, I look forward to hearing, you know, the success stories of future gigs, and that's the important thing. You just put that one, you just chalk that one up to, a, like, a learning experience of, right, well, we've done that. <laughs> and sometimes things are completely out with your control, and uh, you move on. And yep. It's as easy as that. Um, yeah. I've done nothing. Like, I've literally... I, I say I've done nothing. I put out, That's a fucking lie. You've put out 10,000 podcasts. Well, yeah. Summer, like, which, yeah I, I, like, was, <laughs> I was going to commend you for it, by the way, because my job right now, I actually have, on average, at least about four or five hours a day where I'm driving and listening to podcasts. Mm. So this is the first year that I had, I listened to every single episode of the Summer Series <laughs> as it was coming out. <laughs> Usually you got to take those in chunks. Like yeah. it was, I, I, I wanted to tell you it was really smart putting those in little bite-sized ones. I thought year, so as well. I think next year I'm definitely doing that in that format as well. One, I felt like it just made, it was, believe it or not, it was easier for me in the edit because I, I was only ever concentrating on like specific decades but i also felt the same way i felt it was more fun from a like an audience engagement uh, but also the format the way i recorded that's how i like that's how we take breaks when we're recording those episodes um so it made sense to be like well that should be an episode so thank you very much but yeah we put out all 40 in two months um as well as all the other stuff i was doing which is fucking silly um and yeah with that though i haven't really done that much we're obviously in the height of our 31 of october at the moment so yesterday's movie was the new hellraiser so um which i had to fucking vpn and get someone's hulu account to watch because unlike all the other hulu movies which have come straight to disney plus in the uk that one didn't so that's super fucking weird yeah what's the what's the what's the adult not adult it makes it sound like a porn streaming Mm. thing or something or whatever but yeah what's the more adult oriented thing that like instead of because yeah here disney plus doesn't really if it's a disney owned property they don't go to disney plus they go we don't have hulu over here so hulu titles are essentially assumed by that so stars is the one that falls under it 
generally ah, all that it. stuff who come to stars but that's still under the disney app so it still yeah. comes up in disney plus but um we got things like prey like yeah so, but then prey's full this is the thing i was trying to work this out prey was like the predator franchise was created by fox fox is owned by disney so there's yeah. no there's no issue there Spyglass are the company that are behind the one of the producers in distribution, I think, alongside Hulu, and I think Spyglass have a different relationship in the UK. So I think that's why it is. Apparently, it's going to be sorted very quickly. I wasn't waiting around. Uh, no. So I, I, I was like, fuck this pish. By the time it comes out, I'll have leaked so much online that I just can't do that. So let's 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 get this out of the way. And uh, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. And I know there are people out there that are moaning about the movie. These people clearly have not experienced Hellraiser's 5 through 10. Um, yeah, revelations especially. Oh, dude. like It's like the, the, the stuff that I've seen, I get some of the criticism. It is relatively slower paced. It's a two-hour movie, so strap yourself in. But like it, at this point, anyone going, well, you know, it's not it's not Hellraiser without Doug Bradley and I'm like we've we've had this argument before right yeah and generally I would agree but Doug Bradley's in five of those really bad movies <laughs> like yeah, he's in he, it, can't, he can't save them yeah it's, it's not that you, you can bring him in that's not going to make the movie I th- actually thought the Cenobite stuff was done wickedly well like really 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 well like serious like like not as in Freddy Krueger which is kind of how like Doug Bradley became at the end He's all kind of smiling. They are, they are cold and evil, and that's all I want. Um, and I like the story as well. It kind of it has shades of the novel for sure. It feels definitely updated, and um, I won't say any more because you've not seen it. But yeah, I thought it was great. I, it's definitely in my top four favorite Hellraiser movies. Um, but all those other four that are, well, the other three movies that are in that top, I, I've grown up with. So time will yeah. tell how high it goes up there. But it's comfortably in there. I mean, it's easily better than the majority of them because it's an actual Hellraiser movie and not a script that was co-opted into a Hellraiser movie. So, like, we'll like, shove some centibytes in this shitty script we got here. Hundred percent. Like, it's written as a Hellraiser movie, which instantly gives it more cred than the majority of what is in that franchise. So, anyone that's saying that just clearly didn't want to watch a Hellraiser movie; they wanted to see a Doug Bradley movie, which is fine. But you've got plenty of them. Just go and watch them and shut the fuck up. Um, yeah, he's still doing stuff like uh, yeah I, I think he's he, he's he's he was doing like an audiobook series for a little while yeah. where he just basically read scary stories that i heard an episode of it was fucking great he's he got a great just, voice for it he's got yeah, a, one of those, one of those voices you could just listen to all fucking day. 100%. um so yeah but it's been it's been interesting like some have been like incredibly good some have been pretty shitty um highlight for me is speak no evil so far that movie is just a kick in the balls yeah, Holy I've heard really good things. Fucking shit. Like, do not watch that if you're in a happy mood. Like, <laughs> like honestly, as an un- it's uncomfortable. It's just an awkward, uncomfortable movie for the first hour, and then the last, like, 20 minutes is just tense nightmare fuel. Um, uh, yeah, uh, really, really, really good. Like, really good. Um, and the worst one I've seen out of that group so far is probably Day Shift, which is the Jamie Foxx Snoop Dogg. Um, oh god I forgot about that (laughs) Netflix vampire hunter thing like that which as I've said on many different platforms now I I have like zero interest in that Blade movie coming out we have done martial arts killing vampires stuff to death now I am over it when that director walked out I was like he made the right choice Um, let's just just shelf that for a while even Mahershala Ali who's now the new Blade is kind of like 
yeah, I'm not too sure about this project. And I'm like, Bale, dude, you've got a fucking Oscar. What are you, what are you even doing here? Yeah. Like, you just get out now. I'd like, honestly, that that movie was... And it has the balls. It has the, the fucking balls, Mark. To have Snoop Dogg at the end of it basically co-opt the end of um, Lost Boys. It's like, the one thing I always loved about Los Angeles is all the goddamn bad part. And I was like, no, you do not mention that movie. It does not come out your filthy whore mouth, Snoop Dogg. Ugh. Um, yeah, so yeah, he's... he's, he's... He must have a lot of kids nowadays that need a lot of <laughs> a lot of hard candy from Grandpa Snoop because he just, will just do fucking anything. I just think he's I just think he's just loving life. I think that's what it is. Oh, I think sure. he's just like loving life. And I think he'd like why not? Why not put Snoop Dogg in a fucking a vampire movie where he walks in like a black cowboy with a giant minigun that's in this movie for shizzle my nizzle you fuck off snoop dog <laughs> right anyway that's yeah so there's there's been a there's been a there's been a lot of that there's still tons to go on that and i'm i'm kind of looking forward tonight is crimes of the future um sitting nice. down and uh, and getting body deep in some uh and cronenbergian body horror um so if there isn't at least a stomach vagina i'm i'm walking um <laughs> Speaking of stomach vaginas, there aren't any in the movies we're about to talk about, but we're about to do a double bill here of good old-fashioned 70s Americana horror um, as we do Enter the Devil from 1972, although technically released in 74, and a little movie. You may have heard of it before, Mark. I don't know, actually, if you have. A movie that I have now spoken about. This will be the third time I've spoken about this movie in the last month. Phantasm! Uh, So, yes, I did it with the, the Baz, who... Baz fucking hated it. Don't know if oh, dude, I was yet. laughing so fucking hard at that episode. <laughs> it gets funnier. Dying. It gets funnier. But uh, yeah, he fucking hated Phantasm. And then I got to do it for some more series where it like barely lost out against the brood. Um, so yeah, we're going to do our best to basically not reinvent the wheel on this one so what we're going to do is short break just now you're going to hear learned people um if memory serves it's kim newman that does this one so kim newman's going to talk to you all about enter the devil and when we return we're discussing that movie and we're doing it right after this enter the devil which is not to be confused with a retitling of the sexorcist that came out later also known as disciples of death since neither the devil or death's disciples actually appear in the film, the villains are a weird Christian sect called the Penitentes, who've had other exploitation movies made about them, uh, crossed with sort of Mayan human sacrifice guys. My assumption is this was filmed as something else entirely and then got uh, more exploitable, if rather generic, titles stuck on it. It's sort of part of a cycle of early 70s films, which are, I suppose, Rosemary's Baby Goes West. Uh, I always think of them as the robed redneck films. They're films like Race with the Devil and The Devil's Reign. They all have the devil in the title, uh, which are about um, demon cults out west. There's a slight Manson vibe going, but it's much more the the chanting in Latin. Uh, So every... Um, TV cop show in the 70s did an episode with a bunch of cultists like this. You know, it was like Starsky and Hutch or Macmillan and wife would come across people with the same robes doing the same human sacrifice stuff. This was made by a director-producer called Frank Q. Dobbs who didn't actually direct 
that much else. He made Uphill All the Way and uh, one of those rather late Burt Reynolds movies. But he was a big man in Texas film production. He produced the sequel miniseries to Lonesome Dove uh, and a bunch of other quite big TV Western projects. Almost everything he made was a Western, so I suspect that's where um, you know the Texas film industry's heart lay. And even though the the cover and the promotional material makes this out to be a horror picture. It's almost much more a modern day Western. It's people go missing in the desert. There's a you know a lawman in it, although he's a bit of a dickhead and he doesn't make it to the end. And there's a sort of respect for the the anthropology of this made up religion. The penitentes were known for flagellation. That's uh, there's a there's a a famous exploitation picture called Lash of the Penitentes, which uses supposed real footage of flagellation. Oddly enough, considering how offensive that would be for the BBFC, they don't do too much flagellation in here. There's a bit of it, but not much. Most of it is just the conventional, you know, let's drag the heroine out into a cave, chant some Latin over her and stab her uh, as an offering to whatever great god, yeah, gazebo that they're, they're bowing down to before the climax. It's not a terribly eventful film. Um, it's certainly a lot less fun than Race with the Devil or, or The Devil's Reign. It has a kind of interesting desert atmosphere and it's one of those minor films that you forget a week after you've seen but while it's on is sort of watchable. There's stuff going on that you can relate to other films that are more fun than this one. If it had another title, if it hadn't mentioned the devil, um, it would have probably just lit, you know, gathered dust on the video shelves without anybody noticing. Uh, it could easily have played afternoon television. Yeah, uh, and its very unsensationalist nature is probably what may, means that even now it doesn't have much of a cult following. I, you know, there aren't people out there campaigning for the, the Enter the Devil special edition on DVD. Say it. So I think the waters are closed over this one.
Jace, need you to crawl out from under there, boy. One more minute, boss man. One more minute. There, she ought to run forever. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. I need you to take a ride down Ben. Sure thing. First thing in the morning. You ought to be able to make it by about mid-afternoon. This fellow by the name of Perkins. Tom. Friday's my day off, remember? This rock hound, Jace, by the name of Ozzie Perkins, took a vacation trip out of Houston down into the bend. Now, he's long overdue on a return. So I told Houston, you go down there and have a look around. Fresh start in the morning, I'd have the whole day. Damn it, Jace, you'll have all the time it takes. Look, boy, this is election year. Now, I don't want no open cases on election day. Go ahead, get cleaned up, huh? And uh, don't get too attached to that lip brush, boy. That's got to go. Tom. I had a hot date tonight. Pretty good possibility. <laughs> you know that. Maybe you ought to start off down at Glenn Phelps' place. A lot of tourists stop in there, coming and going. And doesn't that little uh, Juanita still work down there? Okay. I will get cleaned up. But if you don't want me coming back until I get it straightened out, you'd better start sending my checks care of Tarlingua, Texas, general delivery. I might grow a beard. This Ozzie Perkins won't be the first gringo that dropped out of sight down in the Big Bend country. Yeah, but I'll be damn glad when they quit using Brewster County for their disappearing act. I'll get you a picture of this guy. Ladies and gents, so it's time to do it. Enter the Devil. This one is directed by Frank Q. Dobbs, who co-wrote it with David S. Cass Sr. There we go. It's a lot of S's there. It stars Joshua Bryan, Irene Kelly, David S. Cass Sr. What? He's in it as well? Uh, John Martin, uh, Carl Benson, Norris Domingu, <laughs> Domingu? I don't know. Uh, Willie Gonzalez, uh, Ed Geldert, John, no, Robert John Allen, and Happy Sahan, who plays Ozzy Perkins, which did make me smile because I was like, Osgood Perkins? How did he know? Because um, he does stuff with the devil. Uh, yeah, the synopsis for this one is somewhere in southwest Texas, where a Christian cult is said to have resided in the past, a deputy sheriff investigates a number of suspicious deaths. That is pretty apt. Um, now this one... There's that and a lot of fucking filler in this movie. That's about 10% of what happens. They, they love a slow pan. Let's do uh. a... You've heard of Lopan from Big Trouble Little China. This is his <laughs> slightly slightly uncomfortable brother. Uh, he's a little bit shifty. one things. camera move and damn it, they were going to use it. Oh, dude, this is just like... And, and right, and right, and right, and that slow down a little bit, and right, and ominous music, please, and right, and right, and cut. 
Right, next scene. And right, and right. <laughs> it's like all of... So yeah, this one, this one does not have a formal release in the UK. Uh, it has a Blu-ray release in the States, though, which did surprise me because I was like, this? Really? Okay. Um, here's my thoughts on this one, Mark. For the most part, I'm fine with this movie. I like the setting. I like right, anything to do with religious cults or cults in general in cinema. I'm down to clown on, right? Um, even though they're not really a satanic cult per se, but that's fine. We got on there. I like the, the name of the movie fits in very much of the time period and the setting. I've got a fucking lost count of how many, like from '72 to '77, devil western movies actually exist. Uh, you'll have to think of something like Race with the Devil to to kind of capture that in your your brain. Um, you know, there's loads of them out there, so that, that kind of makes sense that they would have that there. Um, so I love the setting. I love the the premise. You know, someone goes missing, we're going to get someone involved, or there's this cult, maybe something's going on. It's kind of Wicker Man-esque. I'm, I'm kind of digging that. Um, it was a bit nastier than I thought it was, even though it's not gratuitous in terms of what it shoots. It certainly has had like a feel of kind of torture and there's a woman burned and all that stuff's cool. Um, it's not afraid to, to take out like a lead character, which I will also give thumbs up to. Um, I thought the score was pretty cool, but by God, is there a whole lot of nothing going on in this very short movie? <laughs> like, yeah. Not a long movie at all, and there is a ton of filler. So, thoughts? Uh, so, I watched this on YouTube. Yes, you did. Uh, the, the music in this was really weird. I kind of think a couple of these tracks were <laughs> replaced down the road with more modern shit because, like, the opening music to this sounds sounds very different than a lot of the other musical cues in this. I don't so, know if that's... I've got a theory on this, right? My theory on the cop of the U-Send round um, was that I think this is... I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I think uh, YouTube has an algorithm. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it searches out soundtracks. So I think they were replacing the soundtrack with other sounds so it didn't get pulled. That was my theory. That's, I think you're probably right. That that did occur to me too. I, yeah. I'm like, I bet there might have been like a song that, yeah, the, the, the copyright bots pick up really easy and are like, no, 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 you don't. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's a pretty easy fix. And honestly, like I, the music that they put in there, I think fits pretty well and like actually like syncs up to the, the action that's happening like, pretty decently. Um, as far as the rest of this movie goes, uh, I had to watch this twice because this like put me to fucking sleep like somewhere towards the middle of this. Uh, this is this is really I I would call this really fucking tame for a video nasty movie. It, it does have a couple parts, and obviously like all the Satanism stuff really fucking freaked people out in the eighties yeah. for whatever reason. It, it was it was softer times. The the Marilyn Mansons hadn't come around at this point. Yeah. Uh, like yeah people were really freaked out about like satanic cults and like thought this shit was really happening which no it wasn't uh so um yeah i, I th this movie's got a lot of shortcomings this, this was clearly made on like a zero fucking budget mm -hmm. they, they knew some dudes with some some cloaks like or they borrowed them from like a community theater type deal uh, all these people are listed as actors. I think they just went to like a bar and were like, "Hey, you want to come be in our movie?" <laughs> and like, because every every character is like either like the, the 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 satanic cultists in this. I don't feel like really have characters until like maybe the very end. They're yeah. they're kind of like lurking in the background of this. So we spend a lot of the time with uh, 
generic fat southern sheriff number one and his buds his drinking buds basically it's like dead pecker row if you put them on film um there, there's some there's some weird racial shit going on in this because yeah. obviously it's texas so there's a bunch of mexican characters that uh yeah are basically just treated really fucking terrible there's there's some gross misogyny and an attempted rape scene basically which i was really grateful gets cut short by one of the characters um but yeah it's, yeah as far as like in terms of offensive content and this, this this one's pretty tame there there's a dude that gets dropped into like a pit with a fucking rattlesnake and like is not that gory yeah um th- this might be another case of well, yeah they watched the first five minutes and said fuck this because it has like satanism and basically like a human sacrifice within like like before the opening credits are yeah. finished kind there's of a bit of that so. and a bit of that i think the the term enter the devil like he's like I mean, it can't be stressed enough the driving force behind the the, the nasties um, was uh, like the British version of fundamentalist Christianism. Uh, yep. That's that is the that was the extent. It's like you know, this is warping and corrupting the minds of our youth. So anything with the devil in it um, and cults and stuff is just a fucking no no. Like we're not yeah. we're, we're not playing that game. I, I think you're right. That lined up with the opening five minutes i mean there's a reason it's you know it's on the tier three list because like you see there isn't really anything in this um it's a pg i mean it's like you know i mean it's not a it's isn't isn't there isn't anything in this and like i said i i, I appreciate the craft because like I said, it's a beautiful scent it's the same reason i love a movie like near dark or the hitcher like you give me like bad landscape, you give me like even slow camera work, but you give me cool camera work. You set your movie there, I'm in. You know what I mean? I I love that shit. But when you're playing in such a fertile environment to do with like satanic cults or just cults in general, of which by this point you've had a Charles Manson, so that's kind of in the, well, the whole bunch of those early seventies movies are all you know Charles Manson and the and the family ripoffs. That yeah. I just expect more, and it it kind of feels, it kind of feels like this maybe isn't designed to be a horror movie. It, like it, it's maybe like designed to be something else, but has ended up that way. You know, like, I don't know if there was like rewrites to the script or anything, but it does kind of feel like there's the 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 ideas of the suspense and the the horror quote unquote aspects in the movie are almost at odds with the rest of it. And as a result, it takes too long to get to where it goes. Um, le- legitimately, takes too long to get to where it needs to go, and it really struggles from not great acting, pretty bad pacing, and you know, not living up to like your the name of your movies. Enter the fucking devil. Give me some devil. Yeah, get, like, give metal me, as fuck. Yeah, it's give me some really- of that. And you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, like, it doesn't even, you don't get any of that at all. You essentially get crazy, crazy religious zealots uh, performing human sacrifice, which once again on paper sounds bitching, but in this movie, it's a bit slow, uh, a bit preachy, and uh, you know, some of that dialogue's a little bit cringy. So, um, it's a harmless, harmless movie, like, genuinely, like, awfully harmless, like, to the point where. Like if I sat down with my eight-year-old and watched her, she'd be like, "Is this even a horror movie, Dad?" I can I can see that conversation. Like, really? Like, people were scared of this. Um, she's getting a little bit cocky at the moment, anyway, because uh, <laughs> like she's watched like The Ring and stuff like that. No, not The Ring. Uh, she watched Wreck and all that now, so she kind of like 
ain't no flares on this ship. Um, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was kind of, from the synopsis and even from the trailer that I saw, I was expecting this to be a bit more, not necessarily gnarly, but just a bit more entertaining. And it doesn't even have that. It doesn't even have that kind of, like, you know, blood farmer where we're like, this acting is awful, but oh my God, I can't take my eyes off the screen. It doesn't even have that level. It's still played surprisingly serious. And I think that's maybe where it loses points for me. Because when you watch a movie like Race uh, Race with the Devil, that movie, like, is so entertaining. It's, it's ridiculously entertaining. Um, it's not much better made than this, but it's ridiculously entertaining. And that's what carries it through, so... Um, Do you kind of get maybe the impression that this movie had like way loftier, uh, like they, they they wanted to do maybe a lot more with this and maybe they just didn't have the fucking money? Well, this guy here, this uh, Frank Dobbs um, was a producer, uh, like a fairly prolific producer as well, which surprises me because producers are known for being able to get cash. Um, and this one just doesn't, I think this is one of only few, a handful of, of directing credits he actually has so to me this kind of feels more like i don't know the details about it but this kind of feels more like uh not saying money laundering but i'm like it's a tax write-off pretty much I, I get the feeling that there is so little effort put into this in a lot of respects comparative to the money that's went in that it kind of feels almost like you know, let's get something out. Our investors get their money back. I make some cash off it, and then kill some time, and I'm off to the next project, sort of thing. As opposed to, I mean, this this dude actually worked with Burt Reynolds um, at some point, directing Burt Reynolds. So he did go on and have a healthy career. Um, this just feels like one of those blips of kind of. We'll just get something out. I make a horror movie. Everyone's making a horror movie. I can make a Texas Devil movie, Mark. Watch me make a Texas Devil movie, Mark. Um, and they did. It's yeah. it's just not very fucking good. And there's no devil in it. Uh, so turns out he couldn't make a Texas Devil movie, Mark. Um, so yeah, uh, for those that are joining us and kind of forgotten how we score things, it's there is no numbers here. It's just like vague terms um, <laughs> of like hard time for the really bad ones, uh, but uh, community service for the ones that, you know, are kind of edging on to the, the, the kind of nasty side of things. Um, there is slap on the wrist for things that maybe dip a toe into dodgy waters, and then there's a case dismissed for things that like why are we doing this and this is a case dismissed for like like a hundred times over there's nothing in this there's not there's no dread there's no atmosphere there's no tension it's beautifully shot and i love the score but that's about it for me what are you giving it mark uh absolutely this is, this is totally a case dismissed and i'm gonna go ahead and say i don't really recommend unless you're a video nasty completist you can probably skip this one yeah i'm gonna recommend a different movie that i saw for chattanooga film festival a couple years ago do you remember quite a ways back on this run of uh, do you remember a movie called the aftermath yes yeah yeah, yeah. uh it was a so that so that dude about I don't know, 15 20 years later after that did another movie called empire of the dark and it also stars i think his son is like the it's like almost the same they're like kind of companion pieces to each other uh empire of the dark was made like on a much bigger budget i think like aftermath was made for like i don't know 600 grand or something and they had like two million to make empire of the dark and uh it's got i can't remember who the effects artist is on that but it's got a lot of really awesome like miniature 
work and like some puppets and some stop motion and shit it's i think more a lot more along the lines of what this movie wanted to be kind of Mm. and empire of the dark is still corny as fuck and like has has a lot of a lot of shortcomings but uh I, it's it's kind of along the same line so yeah I mean, i'm gonna go ahead and do do one of these things where i say maybe don't watch this movie but check out empire of the dark i, I think uh, either severin or vinegar syndrome or somebody probably just put out a blu-ray of this and uh, the aftermath and those those two would make a great double feature yeah made, made by the same filmmakers and uh yeah similar plot on empire of the dark you know what's weird also is that there are uh at some point in this movie there are children in like satanic cloaks so we <laughs> yeah. get the fucking jawas basically from star wars much like we do in the next movie we're going to be talking about <laughs> ladies and gents that's what you call a linking device or a segue we're going to take a very short break just now you're going to hear learned folk um Stephen thrower probably uh, i think um it kind of feels like he talks about these these sorts of movies or maybe alan jones i should do i should always do my research before we do this uh, but we're going to be discussing phantasm for me, for the third time in the last calendar month, um, <laughs> we're gonna, you're going to hear the trail for it when we return. Myself and Mark discussing that movie right after this. Okay, so we have here Phantasm by Don Coscarelli. Now, I mean, I'm sure that this doesn't need very much of an introduction. If you're a horror fan and you've not seen Phantasm, then where the hell have you been? It's uh, it's an essential, essential film. One of my all-time favourites. It's doing that kind of dreamlike, is it real or is it, uh, is it a dream? Is it real or is it uh, some parallel fantasy world? It's playing with the, 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 the boundaries of what's real and what isn't real in a way that a few years later, films like Nightmare on Elm Street would come along and kind of nail down a bit more, whereas the boundaries in this film feel looser and stranger than that. Very, very dreamlike. It kind of combines so many different elements as well. It's a reality-bending uh, horror story. It's a sort of a story about fraternal uh, love and loyalty as well, which I think is one of the reasons why it's attracted a lot of affection among fans over the years. It's not just a, you know, nothing wrong with just a horror film, I should add, but it's not just a horror film. Uh, there's a lot of emotional content as well. Instead of what usually happens in horror movies these days, where everyone is basically chipping at each other all the time and trying to outdo each other, and there's a lot of uh, waspish and snide comments between the characters because you know scriptwriters love to write that shit. You know, kind of they can they can uh, they can make themselves sound uh, a bit sharper and wittier than they perhaps feel like they are in real life by writing characters like that. In this, people like each other. And it's kind of unusual in in these kind of horror movies. And it's it's got a kid at the centre who's not who's not a pain in the ass. The other characters in the film, uh, they relate the relationships between them are. Um, they're friends, then you feel that they're friends. It's actually, it's actually a, a very warm film in a lot of ways. And then underlying it is this strange element to do with the absence of parents. At the beginning of the film, the lead character's parents, you find out that one of them died a few months ago and, and another one has just been put in the ground now. So two brothers basically are left to fend for themselves. I don't know if this is an entirely universal experience, but I, I remember as a kid feeling, kind of fantasizing, not in a really mean way, but thinking, oh, if your parents died, you'd you'd kind of have the house yourself, wouldn't you? And just kind of imagining how that would work and thinking, yeah, just imagine, it'd be really sad, you know, and you'd, you know, you'd, you'd, you know, you'd be terribly sad and you'd kind of mentally work through this fantasy of your parents dying and think, oh, it'd be terribly sad. But then again, you'd have more freedom as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> so there's this kind of under, underlying trend in fantasy, of, of, of fantasy uh, all sorts of kind of adolescent fantasies, I think. And then there's also this kind of uh, the emerging sexuality, the fact that the, the kid's older brother is scoring with girls, uh, so he's kind of spying on his older brother, and there's all this kind of intimacy and 
a blossoming sort of sexual interest and awareness represented by very mysterious women in the film. There's a, a mysterious, very beautiful, voluptuous younger woman that the older brother is making out with. And then the other women in the film are extremely strange and mysterious, including a kind of a witch-like mystic living uh, at a house by the crossroads who has magical powers and who, just in the most casual way possible, the lead character goes to visit for advice about what's going on. Of course, this brings us on to the, the, the central character, perhaps, in the film, the iconic figure, the tall man, who is as much a part of horror iconography as Dracula and Frankenstein, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and I think for a, lo a lot of other people as well. And what does the tall man represent? He's a sort of a, again, a kind of an, a, a childhood bogeyman. And of course, he's played brilliantly by this wonderful actor, Angus Scrim. It's not his real name. He's actually called Rory Guy. And he did actually appear in some horror films before this. He's in a great little movie called Scream Bloody Murder in the early 70s, not playing a, a menacing figure, playing a, a doctor. But if you're a big fan of Phantasm and you'd like to see The Tall Man a few years before Phantasm, then check out Scream Bloody Murder. There's a great scene in Phantasm, one of my favourite scenes in any horror movie, where you see him walking down a high street of this little mid-American town in slow motion. And he, uh, there's a, an ice cream van with the back door open and there's condensation wafting out of the ice cream van. And he just kind of turns and warms his hands or cools his hands on the condensation and basks for a second, you know, in, the, in, the, in this kind of mist and, and fog from the, from the ice. Such a strange scene. It's straight out of a dream. It's, uh, you know, perfect, perfect filmmaking. I think Phantasm, it sometimes has more ideas than it can comfortably make into a coherent whole but who gives a fuck who gives a uh, coherence be damned i mean it's just better this way if there are loose ends and things that don't quite make sense uh, it's the kind of movie that should should be partially incoherent it's actually a strength not a weakness as far as why it was on the verge of being prosecuted uh, i mean it's it's the flying balls isn't it the silver spheres with the drill bits uh, drilling into people's heads again that's probably it isn't it you know drill a killer is you know anything with drills and then, you know, not only do they kind of latch onto your head and uh, dig blades into your head, but they also, uh, a drill bit goes into your forehead as well. So, given that there were five or six titles which all the police forces agreed were obscene, or, you know, the courts were saying were obscene, Ice Pit in Your Grave, Gorilla Killer, Cannibal Holocaust, anything that reminded the law enforcement of those, you know, emblematic titles was put forward for prosecution on the basis that it was a bit like that. Another possibility, uh, and again, it's always hard thinking your way into the mindset of people who want to ban things. It, it's it's a very strange mental puppeteering exercise you have to do to try and imagine how that process works. But yeah, maybe because the lead character is, is a teenager and there's a general feeling of it almost being a kid's film. It's got It's got one foot in like a sort of a teenage adventure as well as horror. And so maybe it's the collision of some, some graphic horror scenes with a sensation of almost like a sort of an after-school children's adventure as well. That plus the fact that, you know, the, you've got whirling drills going into people's heads, I think that probably is, is, accounts for it. But hey, you know, most people can tell that it's not a nasty in the sense of being uh, anything like, um, you know, the more notorious titles. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful fantasy film, really, I think, more than anything else. Phantasm. Is it a nightmare? Phantasm. Is it an illusion? Phantasm.
chasm? Is it an evil? You have to take me home. What? what? No questions. You must take me home. Phantasm. Is it a fantasy? scare you. You're already dead. Phantasm. And welcome back ladies and gents. So here we go. This is Phantasm. This one is written and directed by Don Coscarelli, released in 1979. Um, it stars E. Michael Baldwin, Bill Thornberry, Reggie Bannister, Kathy Lester, Terry Calbus, uh, Kenneth V. Jones. Um, that's not as in verses. That's his name, Kenneth. Kenneth V. Jones. Uh, that man V. Superman. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's Susan Harper, Lynn Eastman Rossi, and a guy called Angus Scrim. Um, the synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as a teenage boy and his friends face off against a mysterious grave robber known only as the Tall Man. Who employs a lethal arsenal of unearthly weapons? Um, I, I took the the charge on the last one. You can take the charge on this one, Mark, because I have literally said everything that I ever need to say about Phantasm. Uh, so I will let you have the floor. Uh, I mean, this kind of this is dumb. This is dumb that this is on this list. Like, really, this really is on here for it. one scene. One yeah, scene. Yeah, literally, there is a drill and that's it like, there's no way this movie isn't on here because Driller Killer was on the main list that's it that is like Driller Killer was on the main list and it had a drill you know the poster artwork for that movie was someone said get drilled and they're like nope um, and then in this movie here we have that one scene and they're like nope really it can't be I cannot think of any other reason why it would be well, we also get in the first five minutes, another first five minutes kind of movie. Uh, this movie opens with two people fucking in a graveyard. We get some tits and a dude gets stabbed in the chest while they're fucking basically like maybe right before he's about to climax. There's some weird shit going on in the background of this movie. But uh, yeah, the, the scene that we're referring to that I am fucking if, if it's not a first five minutes thing and it's not a there's a you know implement of death on the cover kind of thing yes yeah. the, the the nastiest scene in this entire movie is when uh our main character michael is like being chased through the through the mausoleum by the tall man and the groundskeeper mm -hmm. shows up and we are first introduced to uh still one of the most unique things that has ever popped up in the horror film genre oh, yeah. which is the fucking murder balls 
and yeah. the groundskeeper gets hit in the face with the murder ball. It fucking drills into his head, sprays fucking blood out like he's at a fucking guar show, <laughs> and he falls down. And I think the part that really bothered the censors was the piss coming out of his leg. That's yeah. that 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 bothers that, that bothers a lot of people, and it's it's supposed to. It's supposed to be a fucking horrifying, scary scene, and like I can't imagine being in a theater when this came out and that scene fucking rolled through like i'm sure like people freaked the fuck out about this because it was it's not like anything it's not like, like anything in, in america and europe we've been getting movies like this for like a decade like true like, like, you know yeah. I, mean? I think that's the thing like to mainstream u.s audiences who weren't like doing the drive-through circuit or anything like that and not seeing like Fulci and Argento, uh, you know, and, and Bava. Or like the Tetsuo movies. Oh yeah, like or, or like yeah, going going east um, and seeing movies from there. If that you know, if this was just a general cinema goer going to see this Phantasm movie that was getting a bit of buzz, and then you saw that, yeah, it would warp your fucking mind. There's no there's no shit. getting around that. But yeah, so all all that aside, honestly, dude, Phantasm is probably in my top ten favorite movies mm-hmm. of all time. I fucking adore this movie it is just like pure 70s americana like small town charm uh it's you, you guys mentioned it like on one of the one of those other recordings that <laughs> this is definitely like written to be kind of from the point of view of like a child basically which yeah. is really it's it's a really hard thing to pull off you know as, as an adult trying to write something that like especially a horror movie you're like what scared me a lot as a child and like uh dream i think the dream logic in this movie works great i know baz fucking hated it and yeah don't listen to baz baz is a dick (laughs) plus baz doesn't listen to this so we're fine (laughs) but i i kind of feel like i have the slightly different opinion on like how basically the whole idea that like the entire movie is a dream Mm. I, i i think it could go that way if you want it to i always kind of looked at it as basically like the tall man it's it's a very freddy krueger kind of thing i think it's still the tall man the tall man is just fucking with michael throughout this entire movie he is the boogeyman to to michael in this and so like i i never took that i i took that with like massive grain of salt that like maybe the whole thing is just a dream i that that i can kind of understand that frustrates people a lot and it makes the, the stakes seem kind of worthless so like my basically i i I think all of it could be a dream or like it could just be you know the tall man fucking with him basically but yeah uh you you know you you can kind of take that either way but i I think the dream logic in this works really great because you're never really sure it's it's kind of an unreliable narrator thing you're never really sure like what's real what is a dream and they established that like pretty early on with that Dude, one of my favorite fucking shots in a movie ever is when he wakes up and the camera just pulls out and the tall man is standing above his bed and he's in a it's fucking a graveyard. graveyard. It it's looks fucking incredible. Yeah, it, it's it Italian like... as fuck, dude. It's Italian as fuck. I like yeah. that is that is Italian cinema. That's that seventies Italian horror cinema right there, but captured in this kind of flashier American way where it legitimately is scary. Like, the Italian stuff isn't scary. It's kind of like, yeah. how did we end up here two minutes ago when we were, like, drinking wine with our best friend? Like, in this one, it's totally like, no, boom, you're not safe even when you sleep. It's pure, it's pure nightmare fuel. And especially, yeah, if you were if you were quite a bit younger when you watched this movie, like, it's the 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 everything from the point of view of, like, a teenage boy, I think it works really well. And it definitely gets, like, what is scary 
to to children um it's and it's, it's just in general like I've, I've talked a zillion times on podcasts about the the sitting on the porch playing guitar scene just, just <laughs> yeah. sitting here at midnight and i'll be sitting here till noon i don't know why but i fucking adore that scene so so much. do it's, i like Baz is the only one that dislikes it right so it, like once again we don't, we don't want to give movie, him credence but... like we're not giving no. Baz power on this episode like he's wrong <laughs> for not liking that scene that's ridiculous yes yeah i'm sorry Baz, but you're totally wrong and i i don't i don't, I don't know like I guess it maybe depends on like your upbringing or whatever, but like that, like just just that one scene where they don't even have any dialogue. It's just what they're doing, kind of like sets up their characters, I think, really well, and just kind of establishes like how how tight these guys are, and just the kind of laid back like small town life that they usually live, mm. and like how it makes it makes the horror mu- that much worse too, because you're like these guys have like a pretty chill life. Like Reggie's a fucking ice cream truck man like michael's probably still like going to school and you know isn't really the the parents are gone so they're not like hovering over him so i mean he's 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 growing up really quick and has to learn kind of his own independence and like yeah his his biggest fear before like all the all the phantasm shit starts is that his older brother is gonna fucking leave him yeah um and like it, it it just does so much like character building world building and like really simple smart ways that like yeah when when, when the horror finally starts i if you, you get kind of fucking whiplash from it and you're like oh my god it just, it just hits way fucking harder uh one of my favorite scores of all time the music is so fucking good like they knocked it out of the park and then obviously reused it like all the way through the series like mm-hmm. it, it, it's just that one of those iconic theme songs in this movie and uh yeah dude phantasm is so fucking good it's 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 kind of a travesty that this like you know is just kind of soft band in the uk because it literally has one fucking scene that i think is like you know really you could maybe make an argument that it might be a little too extreme for some audiences but even then that 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 would be back then by by today's standards this thing is super fucking tame you could probably easily show you you haven't shown this one to your daughter yet have you uh, no, no. We, we, uh, she's at the stage just now where, like, she needs stuff it's... to be happening quick. Um, she's, yeah. she's a modern kid, so although she's watched a couple of older movies, oh shit! Um, that's her, that's her like using her fucking psychic powers against me. Um, <laughs> like, don't you speak about me when I'm not their father? Um, like, she, she's watched some older. Like, she's desperate at the moment to. I mean, she's seen like Friday the Thirteenth. So she loved that. the Evil Dead. She, she loved she, the Evil Dead movie. She, yeah. she watched Evil Dead too recently and fucking loved it. So like we, I we think she gr- could handle this. And she, she totally she could handle this. I think it's more the like the sit down conversation at the end. Like would be a bit like ah right, I don't get this. Which we got when she watched Ghost Stories with me, and it would be the Baz conversation all over. Yeah, it would be. It'd be like me going like that. Like, what do you mean you didn't understand this? This is why he's trying to fix his brother's car because he died in a car crash. It's all about grief, um, <laughs> symbolism, and grief. Uh, yep. Like she could too easily sit through this one. This is one of these ones that I feel in a couple of years' time, when we've done a lot of the modern stuff, and she's she's got a reverence for the older stuff. Like definitely top tier. Very much so yourself. Phantasm like is is comfortably in my favorite horror movies ever made. I'd like I'd, I genuinely because it does that thing that few few directors out with someone like a Brian De Palma really managed to capture, which is that that like kind of European Italian aesthetic and and vibe, but Americanize it. 
in a way which isn't just like, well, you know, they kill some people, so we've got to make slashers which are even more over the top. It has all the feel and vibe of it brought over. And even down at the score, like the score is like two steps away from being written by Goblin. It's the, like, you know what I mean? It's that sort of, it's that sort of level. Like someone had come to me and said like that, oh yeah, this is totally, this is like, like, um, Fabio Frizzi and like Goblin decided to collaborate under a side project for this like one score and it was called, you know, Phantasm. I would totally believe that because that's yep. what the score feels like. So it wears its influences on its sleeves, but it's so well done. And that's not to take into effect that, you know, it took him a year to do, shot this at weekends, borrowed money to make it, and he was fucking in his early 20s when he did it. It's yeah. mind blown. It's absolutely mind blown just on that yeah. level. Coscarelli was kind of kind of a child prodigy. I yeah. think he he made he made another movie before this uh, uh, title escapes me. It's it like a kids movie. Like That's a, right. A yeah, coming, it did really well as well. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It was it, it was shot for super duper cheap, and yeah, it actually like made the investors back quite a bit of money. But uh, Coscarelli said in a lot of interviews that there's one scene in that movie which I wish I could remember the fucking title of. <laughs> uh, but there, there's a scene where the kids go through a haunted house, and it has like a jump scare in it, and it worked fucking great at all of the screenings that they went to so that's kind of where Coscarelli was like well maybe we could like do that like you know ad nauseum in like an entire 90 minute movie like a horror movie and yeah Phantasm is like it's definitely a lot of things borrowed and kind of made new I think like like you were saying like a lot a lot of Italian cinema stuff a lot of like just like I'm sure like gothic art probably had a lot a lot of influence on this uh a a lot of it's the same if you watch, like, you think of the directors of the time, right, that that are kind of making their break at this point here, whether it's your, um, if you're looking at someone, maybe less Wes Craven because he's established by this point, but yeah. John Carpenter specifically, um, and then you've got people like Joe Dante. Joe Dante, like, if you ever watch the trailers from Hell Channel, it's just him, like, stroking off like, European horror movies because that's what came to your drive throughs uh, that's what you got. Well, so all these directors were sitting there watching all these movies that were absolutely fucking bonkers and like felt like they were from a different planet, and kind of like thinking, how can we change this, like fit this language to match American audiences or put our own spin on them? And that's where Coscarelli comes in. That movie, by the way, is called Kevin uh, Kenny and Company. Kenny and Company. That's the that's one it. he did. And he did yep. that like, basically the year before he started shooting Phantasm. Um, but like, you've got. I don't know, there's just part of me that feels like Coscarelli's always that one where you're like he never really compromised <laughs> like he kind of stuck to the movies he really wanted to make and as a result of that it's a kind of what if scenario with him, you know what I mean if he'd been given a shitload of money at any point like, like Toby Hooper money yeah yeah, to, like in the 80s if Cannon got behind him, imagine what that would have looked like, I mean the closest he got to it was Phantasm too um where the money is like ridic on that one, but still like cheap by any other movie in eighty eight. You know what I mean? It's not not a lot of money by any stretch of the imagination. It kind of feels like he's always going to be one of those guys where we're going to have to sit back and wonder not what if necessarily, but kind of like if if he'd been a bit more like a, like a Guillermo del Toro, for example, with a kind of one for me, one for them sort of attitude. What yeah. some of those bigger budget Hollywood movies might have actually looked like, because you're right. When it comes to filmmaking, dude's a prodigy, and those guys that can can create 
movies that hang as well as this does together out of little money. I'm looking at the, you know, once again, the Joe Dantes. I'm looking at the Sam Raimi's, the Peter Jackson's of the world. Like, those guys all went on and ultimately embraced the Hollywood regime in one way, shape, or form. And look at the movies they commanded when they did that. Coscarelli always kind of feels like that a what-if scenario. And part of me loves the fact that he kind of stuck to what he wanted to do. But the other part of me feels like this dude should have, like, 80 movies. Like, like, he he has surprisingly very little movies against his name. And most of them are Phantasm movies. Especially well, in later in his career, he picked a, he picked at least a handful of like pr- what I would call pretty risky projects. Like Bubba Hotep on paper sounds fucking Ridiculous, insane. Yeah. And the fact that anybody gave the money to make that movie is like a small miracle. John uh, dies at John, the end was mocked yes, as being unfilmable. Too. That's yes. that this is a unfilmable story, and he like yeah, he cuts a lot of the stuff out from the book. But that hangs together really fucking well. I would like the, the, there's the like people always talk about you know the uh, uh, the missed opportunity of uh, Baba Nosferatu, Curse of the She Vampires, the movie that never <laughs> happened. Give yeah. me this book is full of spiders, like the, the like the John dies at the end sequel book. Give me that yeah. by Coscarelli with the same actors and all the rest, and I'd be happy as a pig in shit. Um, but yeah, he did it. He got his system, and that's him. You know what I mean? Yep, and yeah, even even if he never made another movie after Phantasm, Phantasm is gonna have legs for fucking longer than we're ever gonna be around. It's yeah. it's a movie that gets better with time, and like you know, nostalgia plays a little bit into that because like a lot of people have a fondness for '70s America. The the fucking car in this movie, like yeah. people are fucking <laughs> obsessed with. Um, like it, it's it's just got so many elements that work for it that like I can't ever see a world where people will be like, oh, this dusty old phantasm movie. It's not it's yeah. not very good. Like I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. I, I think this is gonna be a fucking classic for a long time. Yeah, he he, he nailed it. He nailed it. Like his first horror movie, and he created a pop horror icon. Tom Man yep. is in there. Like against all the odds, he's like of of all the characters in there. He's maybe, you know, he's like, he's kind of almost, in the same way, like some something like, like a Pennywise is, it's kind of like an oddity. You probably wouldn't have the first time you saw him on screen be like that. Well, people will be getting tattoos of him on them. But now it's kind of like, yeah, he's like, like crossed the, the, you know, the, the barrier into pop culture strongly and uh, remains there. I mean, Coscarelli has not directed a movie in a decade. Like John yeah. Dies at the End was 2012. So he's not done. Oof. He's not done. Yeah, he was. He was a producer um, and heavily involved with Ravenger, which is still six years ago. Jesus fucking Christ! Um, yeah. But yeah, he's done nothing since then. Well, he wrote a book. Um, but he, like, if he ever makes another movie, I mean, he's only. He's still in his sixties. He's late sixties. A young guy. So he's in his late sixties. He hasn't even really hit seventy yet. So he probably could do it. He probably won't do it. And part of me is kind of cool with that. Like, like Phantasm is if you have a you know a collection of even the top twenty horror movies ever made, and Phantasm isn't at least like a hard decision to put that in the list for you, then I just got to question your your judgment as a horror fan. Is like that is that fucking good? Is that fucking good? Yep. Agreed. Uh, Right, so let's talk about then grades for this then, Mark. 
Uh, don't know why I got aggressive there. If your name really is Mark, um, what, what are you giving Phantasm? What, what, what's the? Oh man! Oh, it's a hard one, isn't it? This, 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 I, this falls into the this blogs in a fucking museum category, I think. So I, th- I think I'm giving this like a pretty, pretty slight slap on the wrist. Yeah. Like by 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 the standards that it came out, I'm sure this was pretty shocking and fucked up and weird and wild and out there. Uh, it still is to a degree, but um, I think like enough stuff. Uh, I, I was I was thinking while we were talking about this about how like the the Zoomers are probably going to compare the tall man to like Slender Man, and how <laughs> how much like honestly like scary more scary and fucked up some of those creepy pastas are than than like Phantasm really is like today. So I mean like yeah, it's it's it's, it's come around. It's it's I, I still think this is a pretty scary and fucking disturbing movie and has some like pure nightmare fuel imagery but without the one scene i think of like the groundskeeper getting fucking drilled by the murder ball uh this is the rest of this is relatively tame like i said if you're if you're if your kid's got a pretty strong constitution and is like starting to build a tolerance to horror movies then i think this is a pretty easy watch the, the hard part, like you like said, is going to be explaining the, the logic of this movie because it kind of doesn't have it. It yeah. plays by its own rules and doesn't really give a fuck if any of it makes any sense. Like, uh, the, this popped up on that the Shutter show that they're doing right now, the like 101 oh, yeah. greatest horror movie scenes or whatever. And almost every person, I think Joe Bob Briggs was one that talked about it. And he, he even he said he's like, the story of this movie doesn't really make a lot of sense and like you don't really care while you're watching it you're you're just along for the ride basically so uh yeah long story short i'm giving this a slap on the wrist and this is going in the fucking museum i'm with you it's a slap on the wrist there's enough in here to 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 merit that that kind of grade against it yeah without phantasm i know i mentioned this at length with baz but without phantasm you don't have nightmare on elm street that movie doesn't exist like not only does yep. like and the more I've drilled into this, like no pun intended, um, the, the the more it annoys me when I think about what's the one thing what's the, like the one thing I hate about Nightmare on Elm Street, Mark? The long arms. Yeah, what does he do right after the long arm scene? He chops his fingers off and all that oh, yeah. gunk comes sparting out, and then yep, with yeah, shit eating grin on his face. Yeah, it's, when he's it's doing it, and very then jokey. Yeah, and then I was just thinking to myself, what happens in Phantasm? Oh yeah, the tall man gets his fingers chopped off, and all this gunk yep. comes out. And he's just fucking ri- Wes Craven, you hack. <laughs> you, you ripped him off. Come to your grave and put some flowers down because you're a horror icon. <laughs> uh, sad that you're gone. <laughs> Shed a tear, pour a forty out for my, my fallen <laughs> homie. Still don't know what that means. Um, but yeah, the yeah, it's, I mean, it's a it's a it's a slap on the wrists here. It's a great it's a great fucking movie, uh, an incredible movie. Um, unlike the two movies we'll be covering on the next episode, Mark. So that's another segue. See, we did that effortless. We're gonna take a short break. You're gonna hear a promo when we return. We're closing out the show. And we're doing it right after this. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com, the Psychosemantic Podcast. 
And you've been listening to Doing the Nasty Podcast. This has been Season 2, Episode 30, with reviews of Enter the Devil and Phantasm. Mark Ball, oh dear. We have two movies on the next episode, <laughs> which we've just been talking about off air, which you're like that, dude. There's one that I like and one that I don't, and I don't yep. like either. So, <laughs> if you know me, you could probably figure out which one of these ones I like. Uh, yeah, I saw one. I'm not going to say which, but I saw one of these at a festival a couple of years as like a retrospective kind of screening, and I thought it was really interesting. But you'll have to wait for until next episode to find out which. But well, yeah, what, what are we watching on the next one? <laughs> we're going to both sides of the pond. Uh, we're going to be doing Don't Answer the Phone by Robert Hammer. That's right, it's Hammer time. Um, <laughs> Which is on Tubi in the States, just for, for people watching these at home. Yeah, it's based on the Michael Curtis novel, um, although Robert Hammer actually did the, the, the screenplay adaptation for it. And the synopsis for that one is, a deeply disturbed Vietnam veteran terrorizes the young woman of Los Angeles and taunts a radio psychologist with descriptions of his grisly crimes. So that's one of them. Uh, the other movie we're going to be doing is one that I discussed on uh, Podcast Under the Stairs when myself and uh, Derek Bourgeois sat and went through that Norman J. Warren box set. And that's Prey! Prey, directed by the late, great Norman J. Warren from 1977. The, the merciful thing about these is both these movies short like, yeah. like one of them's an hour and a half, one of them's an hour and twenty. Um, the the synopsis for Prey is a deadly shape-shifting alien infiltrates a country house occupied by two lesbians. Hubba hubba. I put the hubba mm -hmm. hubba in there. It's not actually in the hubba hubba articles. <laughs> you added that. And, and proceeds to study their behaviour. I bet he did, horny bugger. Uh, uh -huh. for, for a sinister purpose. That we masturbation, because the church has told us that's bad. Um, yep, so I did the same thing. <laughs> me, me, and that, me and the alien are on the same page. <laughs> a whole lot of like kind of fapping ourselves blind <laughs> horrible skinny sounds um, what was going on here uh, yeah so this one will be our second movie that we're covering on the next episode which I'm just going to tell you right now we're going to give it time we're not doing it back to back because I'm going to let this one savour I'm going to let marinate <laughs> and it's yeah. going own juices. I don't know where we're going with this. <laughs> one. Um, yeah, but and, uh, until we return with those two, uh, what you got coming up, Mark? Uh, so I got another live show booked actually the weekend after the wedding. So it's going to be the first weekend in November. That's um, I'm heading back up to Billings, Montana to play another show at Kirk's. I got a bunch of new tracks in the works. Uh, the uh, yeah, the, I'm I'm hoping to have another EP like probably short 25 minutes roughly out before the end of the year. Uh, you can find my stuff on Bandcamp. Just search Fancy Mark as an artist. Uh, that I put out an album previously in May that's called Jinxed. Uh, should be pretty easy to find. I'm also on all the streaming shit, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, all that stuff. Just search Fancy Mark as the artist. Uh, yeah, I'd really, really like to keep the, keep the ball rolling on the music stuff. Uh, it's, it's been a pretty successful year besides that one awful fucking show that I got out of the way. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on right now. You know, a lot, a lot of my other, other hobbies and bullshit kind of taking a back burner because yeah, the music thing is, uh, it's going pretty well. I actually made a couple bucks selling the album this year. That's definitely a huge motivator. It's like, oh my god, I can fucking make money doing this? Are you fucking kidding me? And yeah, huge, huge, huge thanks to everybody that's checked it out so far and everybody that bought digital downloads and all that fun stuff. There is definitely more, more music coming up here pretty quick. 
Um, I'll, I'll give it a little shout out. Uh, obviously, Duncan is the third time he's talked about Phantasm in the last couple of months. Uh, Cinema Psyops <laughs> did a pretty great um, full franchise fest a couple of years ago about all the Phantasm movies. I, I go back and listen to those episodes every once in a while if I don't have anything else to listen to. They did a pretty great job on that. It's over on Legion Podcasts. Um, uh, yeah, def- def- dude, D- Duncan, to the people at home, Duncan has worked his fucking ass off on stuff this summer. So definitely go check out the summer series stuff. There, there was a couple great interviews he did with some filmmakers. Um, yeah, dude, you, I, I got, I got to hand it to you, dude. You fucking knocked it out of the park this summer and have just been busting out fucking shows left and right. And, uh, it's saved me a lot of really boring fucking car rides. So I do really, <laughs> really appreciate that. Oh, thanks very much, man. Uh, yeah, like it's um, it's been a weird year, um, but in the best possible way. And that summer series, um, I can finally relax and look back on that series lovingly, which I couldn't do whilst I was in it because <laughs> I can I never do that. But it's out yeah. there. Mark is on those episodes. He's on two of those years. Uh, there were a ton of fun as well. So please go and check those out. We're going to be back within the month, I would imagine, or maybe just over that because Mark is getting married and I'm not going to be like that. So you got married yesterday. Are you ready to talk about? <laughs> Don't answer the phone, Mark. Um, Especially because so yeah. the wedding's on a Saturday and we yeah. usually record on Sundays. It's like, sorry, my new wife. I got to get up early tomorrow morning. <laughs> recorded <laughs> you don't know what he's like he, he won't give me time off uh, but like, yeah we I got won't... a lawyer on speed dial right here <laughs> this is over before it started so so yeah we'll be back um, like relatively quickly and then yeah I'm gonna try and get us like not back back on schedule but I'm gonna try and get a good few booked in before we close them for the end of the year but yeah, there's a ton of really interesting stuff still to do on the Nasty. If you're wondering about some of the big titles, oh, we've still to do Rabid. That's right, we're going to oh, get to yeah. that one. That's going to be a ton of fun for sure. We still have to do The Thing. Yep. You may have heard of that. Maybe. Which I might be going to see in a theater a little bit today. The Flashback Cinema folks are doing screenings, I think, tonight and next Wednesday. So this might be this might be my third time seeing the thing on the big screen. Obviously, it's my favorite fucking movie of all time. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking mean. forward to doing that one on here for sure. Yeah, we still have to talk about Alice Sweet Alice, which will make an appearance somewhere in there for sure. Um, nice. And yeah, <laughs> you go from the dizzying highs to the dizzying lows of Zombie Holocaust, which is a like guilty pleasure of mine, to say the least. I'm going back. Yeah, um, I, I think there's a couple of cannibal movies hiding in there that oh, we have yeah. yet to do. Yeah. Mondo Cannibal is in there, yeah. So. Yeah, long-time listeners know how much I love the cannibal movies, so we got that to look forward to. <laughs> oh, I can't wait, I can't wait. So yeah, don't adjust that Dell. Keep with us, keep subscribed. More content coming your way real soon. Uh, Mark, say goodbye to the listeners. Goodbye, listeners. Thanks for your patience. We will, we'll be back real quick. Uh, yeah, just uh, keep, keep watching fucked up shit out there. Nice. And from me, Duncan McLeish, I'm saying thank you for checking out this episode of Doing the Nasty, and until the next time, take care. They were called nasties, and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film.